This is week eight, the final part, the conclusion of this series that I've entitled Warring with the Gods. And as um, uh, Pastor Larry reminded me before this first service, um, this really isn't the end, it's the beginning. Because this is conclusion, is where you draw conclusions and do something with what you've heard. So this in very, in very many ways is, is the beginning. And I wanna read um, some scriptures to you that'll be familiar. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. This was the reason I did this series. I did this series, Warring with the Gods, in order that Satan might not outwit you. I don't want Satan outsmarting you. So, he says, for we're not unaware of his schemes. You can know what the enemy is up to, and once you know the tactics of your enemy, then you are in a really good position to win. Remember when that one, that one pro sports team was found guilty of stealing the other team's playbook? Y'all remember that story? And they just, they just demolished everybody. How do you know? It's easy to win when you know the enemy, what the enemy's gonna do before they do it. And that's the purpose of this series, knowing what the enemy does, getting ahead of it, and winning because Jesus always causes us to triumph. And so Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 14 says this, do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. Deuteronomy eleven sixteen says it this way, be careful or you'll be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. What gods are you talking about? Talking about the God of power, the God of possessions, and the God of pleasure. And over these eight weeks, we've, we've looked at those quite thoroughly, and we realize that we, when we give up on God's wisdom and settle for the ways of the world, we're giving in to the power God, Baal, the God of power. And the way that you overcome him scripturally is through the principle of the Sabbath by giving God your time and your energy, the best of what you have. We, when we trust um, ourselves more than we trust God, we're giving in to the God of possessions, mammon, as this God is referred to in scripture. And we overcome this God by um, honoring the Lord with our resources, and the Bible calls that principle the tithe. Lastly, the God of pleasure occurs when we insist on following our feelings instead of faith. And the way that we overcome this God of pleasure is through what the Bible calls seeking righteousness and honoring God through a prioritization of seeking God in his righteousness. Today, it brings me to Matthew chapter six as we conclude this series. Matthew 6.33 says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let me just draw to your attention the word seek and the word first. Uh, probably my two favorite definitions that I listed for seek is it means to be diligently dedicated to. To seek means to be preoccupied with. In a marriage relationship, I think everyone could understand the principle of seeking your spouse. I want my wife to be diligently dedicated to me. I don't think that's too much to ask. I also want her to be preoccupied with me. 
Now, some of us need to have a little bit of courage to be able to say what we feel and what we believe in these areas. And when you take it down to your relationship, if you have children, um, we have four. And when I would give them instructions at home, I would want them to be diligently dedicated to the assignment I gave them. I wanted them to be preoccupied with because it goes with this second word, first. I wanted them to be diligently dedicated to because what I just said now became the most important thing in their life. Every parent says, amen. amen. Now, this wasn't always the spirit and attitude I got with my kids. Can any parents relate? Have you been around kids? Hey, I need you to go do this. Oh, I'm busy. <laughs> right. Busy breathing my oxygen. Busy using my electricity. Busy sitting on my couch. Busy eating my food. Busy doing stuff. I, you tell, you, you, I, I love for my kids to be able to see this. When you're in my domain, in my kingdom, it all belongs to me. It's funny because there's a, there's a famous basketball player, Shaquille O'Neal, I heard him with this quote, and his, his, one of his kids said, came to him and said, um, Dad, are we rich? And Shaq said, no, we aren't rich. I'm rich. <laughs> you don't have anything, right? So priority means whatever you place the highest value on. So taking that analogy metaphor down to us as God's children that everything we have is his and when he speaks, he's anticipating that you will respond quickly the first time you're asked with a joyful heart. That's what I expected as an expectation of my kids and every time I say, I expect my kids to obey the first time they're asked with a happy heart Always someone laughs at that idea. And it is funny until it's not funny anymore. Toddlers can be really cute and they can do things that warm your heart and they can disobey in such a beautiful manner. <laughs> but everyone in this room knows that same human being a decade later as a teenager, they ain't cute anymore. They're an, they're an animal. <laughs> they are wild. So I would tell my kids, hey, boys, hey, take out the trash. We have a really long lane. Last week, I took down the trash for the first time since 2014. <laughs> I prayed in tongues the whole way down and the whole way back up. I was like, I was like, oh God, they did this every week for me, twice a week? Man, I need to figure out a way to pull this in my car on my way up the lane. <laughs> but I would expect that they would drop everything to pursue what I told them. This is God's expectation on us. Seek first, what? The kingdom and all of these things will be added to you. We need to pursue and prioritize the kingdom because of all the cultural pressure that's on us. And that's what this series has been about. It's been about exposing how the enemy works through the culture of 
pressure or the pressural cultures that are around us. Romans chapter 12 describes it this way, gives us a command. The pressure to conform exists, uh, and it comes through these gods, and Paul says to the Romans, and be not conformed, everybody say conformed. That means to be molded and shaped and sized up into something that you're not. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Everybody say transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you're taking notes, write this down. Being conformed is the enemy of being transformed. Being conformed is the enemy of being transformed. The word transformation or transformed in the Greek is the same word where we get the word metamorphosis. When a moth builds the cocoon and comes out a beautiful butterfly, it was one species or one type of coloring and animal in one moment and through time and, and transformation, it became this beautiful thing. That's, that's the word. And um, it comes when we renew our mind. And over the years, I've probably spoken to our church more about the mind than any other subject. Because however the mind goes, that's the way the rest of you is going to go. Um, I, I read a story about a man who went to the circus and he saw the elephants and there was a mama elephant and a baby elephant both tied to a stake. And he asked the animal trainer, how is it that the 10-ton elephant stays tethered to the stake when it's so strong, all it would have to do is pick up its leg and it would be free of the tethering? How is it that the same stake and rope or stake and chain can hold a 10-ton animal and a 300-pound animal? He said, oh, that's easy. He said, well, it's true that elephants have incredible memories. They're not very intelligent. So from, if this happens when they're young, they're unable to break free because they're not strong enough yet. So after thousands and thousands of attempts, they eventually give up. And their memory is so great that it time travels them back to when they were young, when they were stuck and couldn't get untethered, and it forms a behavior in them that accepts their stuckness. The same is so true for us as human beings that we will be conditioned in our mind and it will keep us in a position of being conformed to what's around us rather than transformed. The way we're transformed is by changing the way we think. So today I'm going to give you some things that will challenge what you've heard in the past and will challenge you to renew your mind and come to a greater bit of clarity on how the kingdom of God functions as we kind of close this whole thing out and finish this, this conversation um, together. The renewing of your mind. Um, I'll say this usually once or twice a year. I don't think I've said it yet. Uh, either way, it's, it's no, it, it doesn't matter. Today, I have this distinct feeling that this is the most important message I've preached this year. 
Because what I am expecting is, and what I've asked God about, is that some people will get some renewed thinking and they'll pull that stake right up out of the ground that's kept them stuck. Those mindsets, those beliefs, their past, their past experiences. I think God's gonna break through that stuff with his word. You're gonna get a renewal opportunity and some of you are gonna go out of here and you're gonna be freer than you've ever been before and you're gonna realize I don't have to stay tethered to that stake. I can walk free and I can take others with me. Beautiful, right? So, um, what is the kingdom? Seek first the kingdom of God. Everybody say kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. You're in a kingdom, but before we seek a kingdom, we have to define what it is. Um, understanding kingdom principles is the key to new thinking. So I have to tell you what a kingdom isn't before I can tell you what it is. Stick with me, because I want to get someplace that will be helpful. Everywhere, I, I, um, I want to I I break um, a religious mindset. Um, I'm going to get ahead of myself, because I have in my heart in the future to do a message series aimed at slaughtering every sacred cow that I can identify. And I, can, I, can I workshop my title with you? Because I think about where I live. Here's the potential title that I'm working with. Let's go cow tipping. <laughs> I don't know if it'll work, but I think it's kind of cool. Um, think about your life. Think about your life as you um, are considering Jesus or have you've, as you've already made a decision for Jesus. Here's what many of us have um, created in our mind as a sum total. This is where I need you to change in your mind, okay? Because we believe half-truths, we get stuck, and it limits us stake in the ground. Here's that half-truth. Many of us think that when Jesus came to earth, he preached about your eternal destination as the goal of his work when he came to set man free. In other words, you look at your life as a line and um, you're looking at it as though if I'm good, I go to heaven. If I'm bad, I go to hell. Your goodness and badness has nothing to do with your eternal state. The, the, the principal thing that determines your eternal state is what you do with Jesus. Whether you accept him as Lord or not, that's the determining factor. However, that is a small part because I want to submit to you a kingdom. Before I can tell you what it is, I have to tell you what it isn't. A kingdom is not a religion. All religions preach a final destination theology. They all say what's going to happen after you die. Christians get so caught up with that, but I need you to see from this text, Jesus doesn't go preaching heaven and hell. He preaches something very different. Everywhere, I could show you multiple passages, Jesus went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He preaches the kingdom of God. This is what he preaches, because here's the invitation. The invitation doesn't, doesn't stop at an invitation to experience eternity with Jesus, it, it really begins with an invitation about 
how you'll live this life by kingdom principles. It's an invitation out of a non-working, dysfunctional, demonic system into a kingdom that God sent his own son to establish in the earth. And while we're busy, worried about what's going to happen to us, when we die, Jesus is saying, there's a whole bunch of people that we influence and impact that need to know how to live under the kingdom principles of the kingdom of God. And, 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 we, and we, preach a, we, we preach a final destination theology, a death gospel. What happens when you're dead? This is very selfish. Right, look, okay, so listen. When I die, I'm going to heaven. I hope you are too. But now what? You just sit in the holding room of life? Waiting for the end to come? No, 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 no. You have limited God because that is only a part of the benefit of the kingdom. In fact, we're going to reign on earth with him as kings and priests. Uh, okay. What is a kingdom? It's not a religion. Jesus speaks, and he's quoted in Matthew 4, 17, and says that, so it says this, from that time, so Matthew chapter four, Bible wizards, theologians, four is pretty early in the book, right? One, two, three, four, <laughs> you with me? It's pretty early. From that time, early on, here's what Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Some translations say, for the kingdom of God is here now. There's no delay. He's saying right now you step into something new. Listen, the whole world that is living without Jesus will run to the kingdom when they understand that we're not just preaching a destination theology, that we're preaching the kingdom of God has come to the earth and you can live by principles that supersede the principles of this world's system that will cause you to have fullness, life, strength, and every benefit that God has provided because when he sent his son, he sent heaven to earth. And watch, when Jesus left, he didn't take heaven with him. He left heaven here in the form of his spirit that then wouldn't have to be confined to one human individual, but as the spirit of God would live in every person who says, I'm going to seek the kingdom of God. And then everywhere, here's the thing that's interesting about a kingdom. A kingdom will send ambassadors and a kingdom is about colonization. And we are his ambassadors and everywhere we step, we go as a representation of the king claiming territory on his behalf to bring heaven to earth. That's our job. So it's not a religion. Religion is about conformity. Religion preoccupies us. Religion focuses on heaven. The kingdom focuses on earth. Number two, a kingdom is not a democracy. A democracy, as I've endeavored to teach before, is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. It's a beautiful form of government. It's the best form of human government there is until someone invents something better. Remember, it was a person's idea. 
a government of the people, by the people, for the people is a democracy. That's not how a kingdom functions. A kingdom is of the king, by the king, and for the king. His word is law and the final authority. Kingdom is not a republic. God is not bound to a Supreme Court, a Senate, and a House of Representatives to get things done. And can I tell you this? I hate to bust your bubble, but Jesus doesn't even need your vote. He's not, he, you didn't vote him in. You can't vote him out. He is king by right because it was given to him by God Almighty. You don't have to agree with him, but here's the thing. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He is king. He is ruler of all. You get a chance to do that now voluntarily or later by force. Now is better, right? Now is better. And if, if we're not careful... We will allow our governmental system that we function in to invade our thinking, listen, and we'll stay stuck to the stake because we think Jesus needs our vote and our approval. He doesn't. Jesus doesn't even need your yard sign. <laughs> he doesn't. I need some of y'all too. Get the stupid politic yard signs out of your yard. That election was two years ago, ladies and gentlemen. Like, quit, get the yard signs out and quit painting your barns, for God's sake. What the heck is going on? I lost three quarters of you right there, praise the Lord. And start the van, we need to go. Um, what is a king? What is a kingdom? I just need to tell you this. The first service loved that thought way better than y'all did. I just need to know. Because I judge you by comparison on how you respond. A kingdom, here's what it is. Here's what it is. The sovereign rule of a king over his territory or his domain, impacting it with his will, purpose, and intention, which produces a citizenry who reflect the culture of the king and manifest the nature of the king. That's how Miles Monroe defined it. So the kingdom reflects the nature of the king and all of the citizens of the kingdom are supposed to carry his nature everywhere they go. Since we are children of the king, that is our assignment. That everywhere we go, people see him in us. And everywhere we go, we carry on his nature. All right? If you miss that, get the notes and it will be up there. Kingdom is used by Jesus as a description of God's government, God's rulership, God's dominion over the earth. It means God's will executed, God's jurisdiction, where he has domain. There are four components of a kingdom, and then I want to speak to you about something very important. Components of the kingdom, number one, a king. Number two, citizens. Number three, territory of rulership. Number four, a constitution written by the king, not the subjects. you got to disconnect from that to get into kingdom principles. Don't be offended by it because it applies to me too. God doesn't care what our opinion is. What the king says is law, right? So I want to finish this conversation with you today on a subject that has shaped and molded Angie and I's life perhaps greater than any other principle. It's in the, it's in the running for top three. There's a phenomenon in a kingdom 
where a king can perform a function And in a kingdom, this exists, but in a democracy and a republic, it doesn't. Watch, because earlier when I was talking about children and them obeying parents, we, 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 we struggle with obedience because obedience isn't a word that you use in democracy and republic. You, you don't. A citizen of the United States does not obey a president. Not really. I mean, you can if you want to, but if nothing else, the last two and a half years has proven that rebellious hearts are alive and well in America on every side of the ledger because people do what they want to do because we're Americans. Bless God, we're free. Right? God and guns. That's what we need. <laughs> this is... But if your mind isn't renewed and you take that over into your thinking about the kingdom, then what you infer or what conclusion you arrive at is, if I can just get enough people on my side with my opinion, then God's gonna change his mind. <laughs> no, not how it works. Like that, you could have everybody on the planet saying, this is right, the king says it's wrong, it's wrong. You can have everyone on the planet saying it's wrong, everyone, all nearly eight billion of us saying it's wrong, Jesus says nope, it's right, his word is law. And so, so here's something that a king can do. A king can bestow favor on a citizen. Everybody say favor. This is the principle that has overtaken my life for years, and I have to partly apologize for not speaking plainly about this in the, in the past. It was um, out of um, self-consciousness. How honest can I be? Preoccupied with people's opinions, caring what other people thought, being afraid of what other people would say, the word favor means this, and I need everyone in this room and everyone online getting this, from the youngest to the middle-aged to the oldest. You said I could be real honest, right? I'm giving up on some old people. I've given up, but I got good news for you. You're in charge of whether you label yourself old or not. So if you label yourself young, I haven't given up on you. Why do I say that? Because I think, that, I think that some minds are so ingrained in an idea that they just won't shift. They're, you gotta be careful how you articulate that word. They won't shift. They stay stuck. And so I've grown weary thinking, I'm not sure they're gonna, that everyone's gonna change their mind. And they won't, but everyone, no matter of age, has the potential to change their mind. But the older we get, the more we're convinced that stake is my limitation. And I need someone to know you're strong enough to pull that stake up out of the ground. The word favor is defined this way. To give unfair preferential treatment. This is the king's prerogative amongst his citizens. He can give to anyone at any time for any reason a person unfair 
preferential treatment. And it doesn't matter what anybody says because the king has said that's the way it's gonna be. And what I need you to hear is that when you operate in the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom of God, that all these things will be added to you. That is a result of you seeking the kingdom of God and then the preferential, unfair treatment of the king lands on you. That's the how all those things come your way, whether it's direction, resources, energy, answers. When you seek him first, that's an invitation for the favor of the king to rest on your life, and I want this for you. I want your awareness to grow in this. I want your faith to grow, because this has been a thing that, I, it's not me. It's not me, but Angie and I have for years had favor on our life. It's unexplainable. I've been embarrassed about it, because it's unfair. One man said it this way, favor ain't fair. That's the definition. Do you know that the king can bestow favor on anybody he wants? He doesn't need a committee to agree to it. God, through his son Jesus, can bestow favor on you at any time that he wants and doesn't need anyone's permission. In fact, you'll have to watch about when you walk in the king's favor, you'll be treated harshly sometimes. May I draw your attention back to the Bible story of Joseph and the coat of many colors. The favor of God was on his life in his own family, threw him in a pit, left him for dead. I don't say this to highlight anything other than God's, God's goodness in my life, but I've been treated poorly by people, but I'm not telling a sad story because it's not my problem how people respond to the favor of God on my life, and it's not your problem either. He gets to choose who he puts favor on. So I backed off of this because I was, I was, I was embarrassed and I, and I realized that my embarrassment and shame was a form of pride because I thought I did it. And when you think you did it, that is spiritual pride in expression in your life. But knowing that you've sought God and his kingdom first, there's no other alternative. The end of the verse is all the things that we added to you. It's not about the things, but we need things to survive. And some people get into the mindset of, well, I've got everything I need for me and my family. That's very selfish because the world is much bigger than that and the world needs some people who've got a generous, faith-filled spirit to be able to give to missions and people who are less fortunate and do for others what you wish would have been done for you when you were younger. Amen. So, a king can assign favor to whoever he wants. I tell these stories not to draw attention to me, but to give you an example of what I, um, the kind of thing that I'm talking about, and I need you to, I need you to hear me. So years ago, um, Angie and I moved out of our, the house we were in, bought a new house. It's been, uh, I think, like eight, eight, eight years ago this month. We bought a, bought a house, moved into it. Some people in our, I mean, people in church find out when you move and that's not a big deal. And so I had an individual, a couple come to me and um, they, they had an issue. They were upset. I can't believe you bought that house. What do you mean? Well, that's got an extra garage. 
Yep. I got kids with cars. Well, you don't need all that space. That's ridiculous. How dare you buy that as a preacher? I had a decision to make. Am I pastoral with them or am I Josh? I chose Josh. I said, how about this? You give an answer to God for the resources he puts in your hand and I'll give an answer to God for the stuff he puts in mine and you can just mind your own freaking business and leave me alone. They left. They didn't care. It didn't matter because listen, if you'd struggle with these kinds of things in your mind, listen, you are not qualified to judge an individual's harvest until you know the seeds that they've sown. Because, because when you sow privately and behind the scenes and you just put God first and put God first, God does stuff. This is warring with God's. This is warring with generational thinking right now. This is getting your mind off of old stuff, pulling up some stakes and saying, I'm gonna be kingdom-minded because God did this. I went to lunch with an individual and I had just gotten a new car. It's the one I still drive. And I didn't want them to see the car that I drove, so I parked clear down the road and around the corner. I came out from lunch and they said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to my car. They said, where'd you park? I said, down there. They said, is that your blue car? I said, yeah. They said, I like it. It's pretty cool. Why'd you park clear down there? Were you ashamed? I said, yeah, I was. He's, and they said to me, don't you ever be ashamed of the blessings of God on your life. Right? So I don't want you to be either. I'm getting upstream of some things. My wife and I were at camp meeting. Another, another example. Let me go back to the house. No, let me go to camp meeting. We're sitting on the front row, which doesn't sound like maybe necessarily like a big deal, but in that circle, it's a big deal. Get invited to sit in the front row, and it's kind of, you know, it's, it, it, it's a bunch of bull crap, but it's a big deal. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of pressure and so on and so forth, right? Kid said, why do we got to sit there? I said, well, because the host asked us to sit there. And I sat there embarrassed because I know the room. There's people in the room way more important than me in my mind. I'm nobody. I'm Josh, Podunk Junction, Ohio, just a kid still in my brain look good for my age, so on and so forth. But I'm sitting here, <laughs> I don't, I, I'm sorry you didn't laugh at that. I thought it was funny. I'll come back to camp meeting, I'll come back to the house, but I gotta go someplace else first. I went golfing with a buddy on Friday. The guy behind the desk asked me if I wanted the senior rate. I don't know why you're clapping. It's not good. It's not good. I said, what's the senior rate? He said, 60. I said, no, I don't need the senior rate, but I do need to go to the restroom and empty my colostomy bag. <laughs> I was so livid. I was so livid. That first tee shot, there was no telling where it went. I was just swinging like, anyway. I'm aging well. That's my confession. You don't have to add anything to it. I'm aging well, praise the Lord. Get a seat. I'm sitting there. I'm embarrassed. My kids are like, why did, why did they pick us to sit here? A seat. A seat. It means nothing. And I'm embarrassed. And I don't mean I heard a audible voice, but I heard God in my heart say, if you're embarrassed by a chair, you've just blocked me from being able to do what I really want to do because a chair is nothing and I want to add things to you so that you can help the world around you. Yes. 
So I adjust to my attitude. Back, so I'm gonna close with this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I, wanna, I wrote some things down. As I was mowing, I had to keep on stopping mowing because I was just writing things down. <laughs> um, and I felt like these were things that were extra. The notes were done, they were to the media team, and these were things that just kind of fell in my heart without me really anticipating them. And because this is how the Spirit of God moves, I wanna, I wanna lean into this together as a church because um, I, I hesitate to say God said because that's been weaponized in church circles and used to um, manipulate and coerce and control people. And so I, don't, I, don't wanna, I, don't, I never wanna do that. But, I, but nor do I want to neglect my responsibility to share what I feel is um, pertinent to people's lives that hit close to home. And so these were things that I felt like I got direction about after the notes were done, just as I was praying and mowing. And so I don't know who they're for, but I believe they're for people in the room. And I want, the first thing that I wrote down was this. Sometimes God will close doors when he has something better planned for you than what you have planned for yourself. I wanna encourage the person you feel like life is keep on, keeps on closing the door on you. Maybe it's on a house, maybe it's on a job, maybe it's on a relationship. Sometimes God closes doors because the door you're trying to walk through isn't the best option he has for you. He's got something better and so he closes it so that you keep moving and get to the thing he has for you. Some of y'all just keep needing to moving, keep on moving, need to keep on moving. That door closes, God's got something better. Let me break it down. That relationship, that person you're dating, it didn't work out, God's got someone better for you. That doesn't mean they're better than that person, but they're better for you than that person was. So it's not personal, it's just that God's got a better door for you, right? Uh, um, a house, maybe you've been frustrated about the buying or selling of a house and that door, that metaphor, proverbial door keeps on closing. You not walking through it is an expression of favor on your life. God's doing you a favor by not letting you get involved in something that isn't his plan for your life. So quit being in a position of complaining and having a bad attitude. Go through the bad attitude, but just don't stay there because none of us are impervious to having a bad attitude. We were trying to sell a home. April was our agent. April does a, a brilliant job. We have brilliant agents in our church family. We, we, we worked with April and it was right in our neighborhood, we were selling our house. Every home in our neighborhood sold, except ours. We were so much anticipating that our house was gonna sell, we bought another one before that one sold. Moved, wouldn't sell, wouldn't sell, wouldn't sell. Andrew's like, I think God's closing the door. I'm like, you think? She's like, yep. What are we gonna do? I don't think, I don't think, I think, that, I think that house is for us still. I don't think we're supposed to move. I said, well, that would have been helpful about six weeks ago before we moved every flipping thing we own. So what did we do? We moved out. We bought a, so we had our house up for sale, bought one, moved in it, put it up for sale, and moved back to the first one. Only people dumb enough in Lincoln County to do that right here. 
we're following this guy. That's not, that's no boy, no, <laughs> right? That's no good. <laughs> but sometimes that's the way life is, isn't it? Like he closed the door so that we would stay where we are. Perhaps that's the only conclusion we can come to. Second, I wanna to talk to some people who you've been in the Lord for a while. There are some people that I need to hear this, that God today is gonna to grant you favor in the form of a new lease on life. You've been tired, you've been worn out, you've been second guessing your purpose. You've, done, you've known a bunch of things in God over the years and, and it's transitioning and it's changing and you're questioning your value and your worth and the hand of God is on your life and this change is good and he's doing it for your good. And you're gonna have a new lease on life. And just because your purpose is changing and you're not serving in the capacity that you've always been used to, don't mistakenly think that God doesn't have a new assignment for you because he does. Just be patient and let him work his work. Keep on seeking the kingdom first. Just because your purpose changes, it doesn't mean your capacity to serve the world is any less. Ruth chapter four, verse 16. I couldn't find it in the first service, but I'm convinced I can find it in the second. You wanna know how I remember where Ruth is now? Because Joshua judges Ruth. I can't figure out why she's worthy of judging. Never mind. That's the sequence. Joshua judges Ruth. It's a complete sentence. Never mind. <laughs> Y'all getting tired, I'm sorry. I, I, you got, I know, it just wasn't that funny, right? You got it, but it just wasn't that funny. I've said this to you before, I wanna say it again. That as we age, please listen, I know we're, I know we're over time, but this is really important to me to, to, to get this out. That as we age, you've heard me say this before, um, as a people, we must get used to parenting children we didn't give birth to. Because the world is in need of a reformation of parenting. And it still takes a village. My upbringing at church, you were not only responsible to your parents, you were responsible to any adult that knew you and knew your family. And if you were misbehaving, there was a license to just get corrected by anybody around you, the nearest person to you, grab you by the nap of the neck, grab you by the ear, do whatever. Like, they just bring you in the line. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that's what I want to have happen because you need to correct your own kids. I already did my job. You need to do your job. <laughs> well, we need to learn to parent kids that we didn't give birth to. The second thing I wanna say connected to that is in Ruth 4, 16. Then Naomi, older lady, well past the age of raising children and giving birth, she was seasoned. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Naomi breastfed Ruth's child, long after that part of her body had dried up and gone away. 
God performed a miracle in the form of favor on her life. And I wanna use it as a metaphor for the person who feels outdated, obsolete, that the world is passing them by. One of the things that God will, will do is when you get around kingdom people, people who are fired up, excited, ready to rock and roll, God will awaken things inside of you that have been dormant for years and the favor that he'll put on you as you get around that new life and those kingdom thinkers, it'll shock you what God does in you physically, emotionally, mentally. You'll just, you'll just go to the next level. How? Just by getting around some people with some life in them. If you feel like you've been in the Molly Grubs and around the Eeyores of life, get you some Tiggers. Get you some tiggers. Ruth had something awaken in her. Parents, say this over your kids. I'm gonna read something to you as I close. Why don't you all stand with me? Thank you for your attention. Don't leave if you don't have to, but um, I, I appreciate your time and attention. I, I wanna finish because I believe a few weeks ago I, I told us and taught us, talked about the idea of if you wanna move the mountain, you gotta move your mouth. And your mountain needs to hear your voice. And speaking the truth of God's word over your life matters. And so I, I wanna read something to you. And I'm gonna ask you to repeat the end of it after me because it's a little bit lengthy. But this is a declaration that I'm making about the favor of God on my life. In the name of Jesus, I declare from this moment forward, I, see my, I will see myself the way God sees me. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, I am the righteousness of God. The favor of God is always among the righteous. The favor of God surrounds the righteous. Therefore, the favor of God surrounds me everywhere I go and in everything that I do. In Jesus' name, I will be a part of the generation that is experiencing God's favor immeasurably, limitlessly, and surpassingly. I say by faith that I will walk in divine favor. I will have preferential treatment, supernatural increase, restoration, victories, requests granted, policies and rules changed, and battles won that I do not have to fight because the blessing and favor of God is on my life. In Jesus' name, every morning when I arise, I expect divine favor to go before me and surround me like a shield of protection. Doors are opening for me that nobody can close. No obstacle can stop me and no hindrance can delay me. Say this out loud with me. Everybody in the room and online say this. Say, the favor of God is on me and goes before me. Never again, never again will I be without the favor of God. Therefore, my life will never be the same again. I am blessed and highly favored of the Lord. And it's in his name, amen.